You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Hello Income Podcast. Jared Sandler with you, joined by former Major Leaguer and award-winning broadcaster Mike Bassick. Thank you. Mike, good morning. Good morning. We just uh, were together a few hours ago in Frisco doing a Rough Riders San Antonio Missions game. And we had an interesting conversation, I thought, not to toot our own horn, but I thought it was an interesting conversation that you brought up that before we get into Rangers baseball, uh, we need to discuss. And maybe someone listening will have an idea of what the true answer is. So the Texas League started in 1888. Yeah. The San Antonio Missions, the opponents of the Rough Riders last night were... Uh, one of the inaugural teams. So your question was, in 1888, or I, I guess I'll let you ask, How it has to do with the transfer of information. How would you know what the true record of a team was? So let's just say San Antonio's playing, I'm just going to go random, Amarillo. Amarillo's traveled to San Antonio, they played three games, then San Antonio takes a bus or a train to Fort Worth to play the Fort Worth Cats. Well, does the Fort Worth Cats just have to take the word of the San Antonio Missions how they did against Amarillo? Or could was there newspaper exchange? Like, I was just wondering in 1888 how you got the information. And here's the other question that was an awesome question, Jared. Let's just say the Fort Worth Cats and the San Antonio Missions have the same record at the end of the season with one game left. At what point do you celebrate winning the championship? How long does it take to get the information if you're San Antonio that Fort Worth either won or lost? Either you tied and maybe you have to travel to play one last game to see who the champions are? Is it Does it take two to three days to say, hey, guess what, guys? You won. We found out. Fort Worth lost. I, I'd like to envision what I brought up to you last night. The Pony the, Express. The game ends and... Everyone is just in the clubhouse having a sleepover. You bring your sleeping bags, and you just wait. The, the clubhouse is tarped. It's ready for celebration, but you wait two to three days, and then some guy in a cool, funky hat comes in and mails here, and, you know, maybe like the guy from Blue's Clues. Mail! We got mail! <laughs> and we all gather around. We open it up, and then... Howdy, partners! And then someone someone has appointed the guy who opens the mail, and he looks up. And he tries to trick his team and act all sad and was like, oh, bad news, guys. The Fort Worth Cats lost. We won the championship. And then they start, they, they you know, they pop the champagne and bam. Okay. Yeah. But I don't, I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, would, I guess. Would, would you be excited if you had to wait that long? I mean, like, can I go home now? What? Can, what I if, go, can I go cook some beans on my stove in my fireplace? What if they were just like, screw it, we're going to dogpile because for all we know, we're the champions. And they catch the final out, and two days later, after a dogpile and a big celebration, they realize that they shared the title or they didn't win. Or... I think this is a great question the next time you see Eric Nadell. I will. Are you insinuating he was alive for that? 
No. Okay. But he knows a lot of baseball history. So I would like to know in minor league baseball how they got information on what the other teams were doing. You know who very well might know, who wasn't alive, but uh, knows an inordinate amount of baseball history is Rangers Executive Vice President John Blake. Uh, I might have to ask him. So anyway, uh, hopefully, if you know the answer, feel free. If you were alive back then or if you know a lot about baseball history, tweet, well, maybe, you never know. Tweet Mike at Mike Bassick. Tweet me at Sandler J. I mean, time travel was a big topic of discussion in Rangers baseball this week. So maybe someone utilized time travel, and that's why they know the answer. All right, so not so good of a week for the Rangers, though, for the second straight week. We are doing the podcast the morning after a Rangers win. That's always nice. That's awesome because they've never won on a Tuesday because on 105.3 The Fan, uh, G-Bag Nation gets to interview Jeff Bannister on Wednesdays at 11.25 approximately, and it's been after a loss every time this year. Ah, well, T- Tuesdays have been tough for the Rangers, and there's been a lot of other days that have been tough. Well, thankfully, last night or yesterday afternoon wasn't tough in terms of the final result, but I... You know, even even in the win, it was uh, it was not a win that I think you walk onto the plane super pumped about. Ten walks, they struck out ten times. Uh, the bullpen tried their hardest to uh, give the game away, but thankfully the offense just wouldn't let them. But all in all, I mean, that's a rough series in Houston. You go there, and I guess, and tell me I'm crazy here, you'd like to split a four-game series. In theory, you go on the road, you'd love to split a four-game series, but... That's a good ball club. Houston is a really good ball club. And to lose three of four from a really good ball club on the road, and, and when I say a really good ball club, I'm talking about maybe the best baseball team in the American League right now. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think what's so frustrating is the way the games were lost. I think that adds to the fact that the Rangers lost three of four. Yeah, and I know you can't do this. You'd love to have high school rules. The Rangers might have the best record in baseball if it was seven-inning baseball games in yeah. 2017, but they're not. They have to pitch the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, and and those are going bad in this series. Jared, the positive was you were winning three of the four games late. You had taken leads over the Astros. You just couldn't hold a lead. Now, me saying that, I bet A.J. Hinch and other people in Houston who are doing podcasts on the Houston Astros were talking about this last year against the Texas Rangers. Son of a gun. We're up on the Texas Rangers through six or seven innings. If the Astros can just figure out a way to hold the lead, the Astros would be winning this division. But you play all nine innings. The Rangers have been below average in nine-inning baseball this year and the Astros have been above average. At this point, Jared, I look at the Rangers, and I don't want to say I'm hopeless, but it's tough to be hopeful or optimistic about the future of the Texas Rangers because, as we found out this week, Cole Hamill's warming up in Houston, has the oblique injury, and is going to be out approximately two months, if not more. And that's, that's really, to me, the story of the week, is that Cole Hamill's will be lost for May, and June, and probably part of July. So, okay, if you are a sabermetric person, you would say, well, that's probably only going to cost the Rangers two wins between now and whenever he returns. Now, I think that for a guy like Cole Hamels and his ability to get you deeper into games than maybe some of your other starters, there's a residual effect here. But, you know, I I guess with the Rangers... After watching the Astros, you know, our, our, our sights were set when the season started on the AL West. And 
Listen, it very well could happen. I mean, uh, you know, in 2015, the Rangers were eight games back in August and won the AL West. I mean, that's, you know, it's not like they've uh, they've never faced this steep of a hill, but that's a really good ball club. And I think hopefully what, I know we like to trash Houston and no one likes to trash Houston more than me. I, I lead the charge there. But I do hope that people saw in this four-game series a really good baseball team in the Astros. I mean, that's a fun team to watch. Yes. They're athletic. They've got power. they got depth. I mean, they were... You know, they didn't even start their their big bats yesterday. That was still a tough lineup to get through, or some of their big bats. They've got a an okay rotation. I'd say an above-average rotation. We didn't see Dallas Keuchel, who's been nails. But to me, that bullpen is really, really, really good. And right now, I think that's the biggest difference between these two teams. Yeah, and they also have experience now. They went yeah. through it in 2015 and got the wild card, played in a playoff series after winning a wild card game. Last year, uh, the season didn't go exactly the way the Houston Astros thought, and because of that, they added veteran leadership in McCann and Beltron and Redick. Uh, so they look like they're going to be a tough team to catch this time. In 2015, uh, the way the Rangers caught them was the Rangers played great baseball down the stretch. I believe 27 and 13, uh, approximately, in their last 40 games to finish that season, and the Astros came out of nowhere. Nobody expected the Astros to be good in 2015. Everybody thought that was supposed to be a developmental year. And for them, they hit in 2015, 2016, maybe took a minor step backwards. But right now, Jared, they look like a tough team to catch because not only are the Rangers going to have to play really good in the second half of the season and start playing good in the first half of the season, is the Astros are also going to have to have stretches where they're not playing well. And so that's the tough part for me to see is that both things happen for the Rangers. The Rangers play well enough to catch them, and the Astros play bad enough to be caught. All right, so the S word was a big word this week. Sell. Sellers, sell. You know, what's the Rangers' approach going to be in July? So let's quickly address this. First of all, I think the Rangers, without question, are prepared to sell assets if, when July rolls around, they're out of it. Uh, and maybe they, if they're 10 games out, are willing to sell a lot of assets. Maybe if they're seven games out, they sell some. You know, I guess it all depends. A lot of people are asking whether or not they should sell now, and you guys had this discussion yesterday on G-Bag Nation, which you can listen to on the fan from 10 to 3, Monday through Friday. The reason why you don't see a lot of trades on May 5th, uh, happy Cinco de Mayo, by the way. All right. is because you need competition. Competition drives up the price. And right now, there are a lot of teams in that middle group. They're not quite sure where they're going to be in July. And thus, they don't want to give up uh, long-term assets right now if over the next two months, they're going to be a below 500 team or someone in their division is going to just run away with it or whatever the case might be. When you get to July, there's a much clearer picture as to who's in and who's out. Who's buying? Who's selling? And there is still that middle group. But all of a sudden, now you've got the five teams who are really aggressively buying, and you play one against the other, and that drives up the price. So unless someone's going to pay a an absolute premium in the month of May, you don't see these big names get traded in May. And so for that reason, when people ask, are the Rangers going to sell or not, they have time. They don't have to make that decision right now because it's not like by bypassing the decision right now, they're losing value on these guys. If anything, the value will only continue to grow as we get closer to the trade deadline. And here's the other thing the Rangers 
might have to do if things don't go well. They have to scout who are a few studs that could want you, Darvish, because you can get probably two really good players for you, Darvish. You're not going to get a really good player for Jonathan LaCroix. You're probably not going to get a really good player for Carlos Gomez if you trade him. You're not going to get a really good player for Mike Napoli if you trade him. You got to send out some of your best scouts and you got to find the players that the teams that you possibly are going to trade with think of that guy as just okay. And you got to see out of these five to seven okay players that we might get out of a trade, do we see the gym that other people's aren't seeing? Do we see, and I know this goes to Jared last night watching a Frisco Rough Riders game, so I'm not going to expect people to know who players are or aren't. I fell in love last night as a scout with Yardley. He was a he was a sidearm, underarm relief pitcher for the San Diego Padres. That's somebody you could get for Mike Napoli. I'm not saying there's going to be a, a match between the Padres and the Rangers, but that's who you're going to have to scout. Not you're, a blue chip prospect. Right. You're going to have to find as a scout a guy that everybody says, I don't think he's going to play in the major leagues or have an impact on my major league team. And you're going to have to see as a scout that's going to work even though a lot of other people aren't seeing it. Can I give you an example? Someone that you've worked alongside that I'll get the chance to work alongside in June. When the Rangers were just kind of completing their their rebuild phase, they went out and they got a guy by the name of David Murphy. And I don't think anyone looked at David Murphy as a blue chip right. prospect. Now, he probably had better prospect status than Eric Yardley, who you brought right. up. But that was a guy who, listen, he wasn't you know at his best an everyday guy, but man, he started against righties, and he was a pretty good player for you and, a, and an important player for you. Yeah, so the, the scouts are going to have to work their butt off here if they're going to complete trades. Making a U Darvish trade, I'm going to say, is pretty easy. You're actually just trying to find the team that's going to give you the most best prospects. And I know it's not, oh, that's super easy, but it's easier than trying to complete a Mike Napoli trade or Carlos Gomez trade in my mind. So... You know who might be able to give you the, the most prospects for you, Darvish? The Houston Astros? Houston Astros. Do you have any issue? Now, you, Darvish, is a free agent at the end of the year. The Astros are not an organization that seems willing to break the bank. Plus, they've got some young players who I think they're going to be really interested in locking up. So I would be very confident in saying that if you, Darvish, were traded to the Astros, uh, even if he had a great two months there, he wouldn't really have, they wouldn't, they would not be bringing him back long-term. Do you have any issue if the Rangers were to trade you, Darvish, to the Astros? 100% no. Yeah. Not even 99%, 100%. I'm going to get the best prospects for my organization. i got to make me better. i got to make the Texas Rangers better. And here's the other thing about if you, Darvish, were traded to Houston, and let's just say, for Ranger fans maybe, worst-case scenario, he signs a five-year deal with the Houston Astros. Now, I'm going to go into this, and i got to be careful here, because I'm not trying to offend anybody. Think of this as the way pitchers are brought up, not where they come from, okay? Where they're brought up, not where they come from. I'll start it off like this. Guys like Gaylord Perry, Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, those guys pitched every fourth day. Every fourth day, they grew up in the minor league system, pitching every fourth day. Talk to Don Sutton, who used to do the uh, Washington Nationals games where I was there. Every fourth day, they pitched. They had no problem, no issue, 300-plus innings pitched, 300 strikeouts in a season, no issues. But Major League Baseball and teams decided, you know what could make these guys even better and maybe even last a little bit longer? 
Let's go to a five-man rotation instead of a four-man rotation, and let's pitch every fifth day. Well, through generations and eras of grooming pitchers to pitch every fifth day, if you ask now the Rangers next year, we're going to go to a four-man rotation. We're going to pitch every fourth day. Texas Ranger fans, and rightfully so, and sports writers and coaches would say, are you effing crazy? You're going to wear these guys down. And if it doesn't happen in 2018, you're going to pay the price in 2019 or 2020. Eventually, you're going to hurt these guys, and they're not going to have a long future. Now, I go to overseas, and I go to the Japanese league, and I go to Japanese baseball. You Darvish and every pitcher that's come from Japan or Korea was raised, was brought up, pitching every sixth or seventh day because they have an off day every Monday. So you Darvish, a lot of times, pitched every Friday night from age 18 to age 25. He pitched every sixth or seventh day. Then when a player from overseas comes to the United States and they say, here's how we do baseball. There's not as many off days, and we pitch, for the most part, every fifth day. And when you look at guys like, I'm just going to go from the start of a a pitcher that came over and had instant success, kind of got hurt, and then struggled with arm and struggled with success. And that would be Hideo Nomo. That was kind of, for me at least, the first guy that really made an impact in the mid-90s with the L.A. Dodgers uh, from Japanese baseball. But they don't have long careers. They don't have success for a long time. And for me, I believe it's because they're raised at an age when you're developing your arm strength and developing what you can and can't do, they're developed to pitch every sixth or seventh day. And then in the United States of America in Major League Baseball, you're asked to pitch every fifth day. And as crazy as it sounds to Ranger fans to go to a four-man rotation, to me, I think it's as crazy to ask Japanese pitchers to pitch every fifth day and expect for them to have a long career at the highest level. Eventually their arm's going to wear out because their arm wasn't made to pitch every sixth or seventh day, not because they were born in Japan. It's because that's the way Japanese people raise pitchers. They develop them to pitch once a week, like in high school or like in college. And what we do in the United States of America with high school and college kids is we say, okay, We know you've been pitching every Friday night because you're the stud on your high school or college team, but we're going to put you in a minor league program and we are going to develop you to pitch every fifth day. And that can take for a high school kid four to five years for a college kid. You're hoping it only takes three years. So at 24, 25, they start hitting the major league level. So back to the point, you Darvish signing in the division. With your rival, the Houston Astros, who you're probably going to have to beat in the next three to five years to win that division because they're going to be a good team. I'm not worried about it because I don't think you Darvish can have a long career because of starting his career in Japan for seven years. All right, that's fair. So, and, I, and I'm not worried about it because I just don't think that he resigns there. I don't yeah, think that they're willing I, to pay the money. That I, I agree with you because I think New York's and Boston and the L.A.'s and the Philadelphia's possibly, I know Philly's in more of a rebuilding stage, but there's teams, Chicago Cubs, they have way more money than you do. A bigger budget. Not because Texas isn't a big market, it's a big market, but they make more TV money, they make more money than you do. All you have to do is go to the list of Forbes. The Rangers, I think, are 11th on that list, I believe, maybe 14th, but right in the middle of the pack or right above the middle, 
And then you have a team like the uh, New York Yankees, who are three times more valuable than the Texas Rangers. And call me crazy, if the Rangers traded you Darvish to the Astros, I still think that the Rangers would have a better shot of signing you Darvish than the Astros. Why? I just think that they've got more money that they're willing to spend. Not that they have an, you know, an infinite amount of dollars that they're able to, to send you Darvish's way. I just, the, the Astros are not, you know, a lot of people complain about the Rangers' payroll. You know, their payroll is as high as it's ever been. The Astros are the team that, you know, they're the ones that have been really frugal lately and haven't really spent. And they've got all these young guys. And if they have any interest in keeping their core together, they're going to have to prepare to give these guys contracts. The Carlos Correa's, the George Springer's of the world. Lance McCullers, if they want to go that route. Chris Davinsky, you know, all these guys, they're going to have to pony up for those guys. Okay. Uh, so, all right. It, one other last thing on the selling. It, it's, it's a tough thing to, like, I'm trying to figure out how this works here. So, in, in order for the Rangers to, to sell, they're not going to have to be good. They're, they're not going to be in it. Now, I think you Darvish can be really good and the Rangers still not be where they would otherwise be uh, as far as buyers. But for all these guys to not be good enough to get the Rangers into contention, that also takes away their value. So, like, right now, Mike Napoli has no value. He'd, he'd be DFA'd if they wanted to make a move. Uh, you know, Carlos Gomez has some value. Jonathan Lucroy has some value. But if you want to maximize their value, you need these guys playing well. Yes. And if Tyson Ross and Andrew Casher and Lucroy and Napoli are all playing well, then you're probably not selling. So it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out and and how many sellable assets the Rangers really have if they are in that position. Now, to be clear, we're not saying that they're definitely going to be in that position. The second wild card really opens the door and makes things a lot more uh, hazier when you get into July as to whether or not you should be on the selling or buying side of the fence. And I just look at this roster. I also I look at Jeff Bannister, and I think that this team uh, is going to be in a position to compete when July rolls around, as, as murky as it looks right now. They can be. The things that they have to do, they have to start playing way better defense. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because Cole Hamels is not going to be in your rotation until probably after the All-Star break. Defense, number one for me. You have to play up to your capabilities. This team has been horrible defensively, and they have to start doing that better. Second, the starting pitchers have to start making every batter earn their way to first base or on the base pass. That doesn't mean zero walks. Walks are going to happen. Sometimes a walk isn't bad. If you have second and third and one out and Carlos Correa up, it's not the end of the world to put him on first base, set up a double play. So that type of walk even though it's not intentional where you just say go to first base, sometimes pitching around a guy or seeing if they'll swing at a bad pitch isn't a bad idea, and the walk could happen there. But to give away the free passes the Rangers have been giving away, they're not going to change their fate unless that stops. One, defense. Two, make the other team earn their way on base. And number three, the hitters have to start being more selective. Stay aggressive as a hitter. Be more selective. Make the other pitcher throw some pitches. Worst case scenario is after six innings, maybe you didn't get to the starter, but you made them throw 105 pitches to do it. And so now the other team's going to have to use their pen. Hopefully you can get them out in the sixth inning or before the sixth inning, because now you're facing the worst pitchers on a team. 
The worst pitchers on a team are the long and middle relievers. Those are the guys you're trying to get to because those are the guys that statistically are the easiest to score runs off of. Those three things, they're simple, they're basic, but it's easy to say, hard to do. Defense, make the other team earn their way on base, and make the other pitcher really earn his out. Defense is a big concern for me. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so want to get to some questions here. We'll, uh, we'll shoot through these. Uh, Chris wants to know what Sam Dyson's future is. For me, Mike, I think you know right now his future is what we're seeing in the present, and that's uh, a guy who is a good pre-ninth inning pitcher, not your closer. It, it, as far as the way bullpens are utilized now, where you do designate a guy to pretty much be your ninth inning guy, I think Sam Dyson's a guy who can come in and be effective in the sixth, seventh, and when guys are down, perhaps in the eighth. But uh, I think that's what he's going to be right now. Totally agree, but never a closer again. Okay, so Matt wants to know, is Gallo more likely to platoon or take over for Nap when Beltre comes back or is he a future left fielder? Well, I think that's two different questions because I do think that ultimately Joey Gallo can be an above-average defensive third baseman. We've seen his ceiling. He's made plays at third that some third basemen who've been around for years aren't capable of making. He's got an unbelievable arm. But I've talked to a number of people who believe that his best position might be in the outfield at a corner spot where he can let the arm play. You don't just bury him at first base where the arm is more of a non-factor. And they also, and tell me what you think about this. One person told me that he thinks that Joey Gallo will be better in the outfield because you don't need, it's not that you don't need focus in the outfield, but that he thinks his inconsistencies at third base might be a bit of a focus issue and that when you're in the outfield, you get a little bit more time before the ball gets to you off the bat and that he's athletic enough, and we've seen that, and he might be best off long-term in the outfield. I'm curious your thoughts on that. I totally agree with that, and I'll take it in another direction here, Jared, is that I was told by a Hall of Fame player that Carlos Correa needs to stop playing shortstop. Interesting. And he said, move him to third base. His hands are good enough. His arm is good enough. Third base is less pressure than shortstop. Shortstop, you're always having to cut balls, cover bases. That's the hardest position, probably besides catcher on the field, is shortstop. And if you want to get the 40-40 out of Carlos Correa, which there's potential there to hit 40 home runs, still 40 bags, it's going to be a lot easier for him to do that at third base. So I totally agree with you taking Gallo at third base and moving him, and he can't play either corner because of his arm strength and because of his athleticism, is you take a little bit more pressure off of him defensively and you have him concentrate a little bit more offensively. So I'm with you on it. And then as far as this year when Beltre comes back, let's wait and see because he's still several weeks away, probably late May at the earliest. We'll figure out what Mike Napoli's doing in late May. We'll see what Delano DeShields is doing in left field in late May, and we'll probably go from there. Okay, so question from... Uh, from Andy, do y'all ever sleep? I put rarely. Yeah, rarely. Uh, okay, so this one from, let's go with uh, John Henry. What's the issue with the bullpen? For me, it's inconsistency, and it's the the lack of ability to consistently throw strikes. And, you know, a lot of people put heat on the manager for some of his bullpen decisions. But, my gosh, if yesterday was not an indication that it's incredibly tough to manage a bullpen when no matter who you call on, it seems like they're not getting the job done, then I don't know where that indication exists. Um, They're below average. And I think they can get to average, but this will not be a premium bullpen in Major League Baseball. I'm one of them. I overrated them. I overrated uh, the the heart, the core, the depth, 
Uh, one thing that obviously hurts is Diekman's not going to pitch this year. I know he's hoping to come back, and hopefully he does. And I think he'll come back in 2018. But losing him was a blow to this organization. But it's a below-average bullpen that maybe can get to an average bullpen major league standards. All right, so two last questions uh, from Sawyer. When our rotation is finally fully healthy, would you prefer Perez or Griffin remaining in the mix? You know, that's a long ways away. I mean, fully healthy is at least two months with Cole Hamels. But Tyson Ross comes back. Uh, I think Nick Martinez is the first one out. When Cole Hamels comes back, I mean, this is kind of a fool's errand question to answer because we see how often injuries pop up in a rotation. But for the sake of the conversation, do you see a situation in which Martin Perez is bumped out of the rotation? Very small. Yeah, I agree. I, I can see it, but it's it's very small. You've invested quite a bit of money in your 25, 26-year-old starting pitcher. He's disappointed this year. Hopefully he can get back to being like a number three starting pitcher. I'm starting to feel like he's a number five starting pitcher in a, in a rotation, a good rotation, a rotation that you feel confident about. Uh, but, hey, it's still early in the year. Maybe he can get back to, and I shouldn't even say get back. Maybe he can get to hitting his potential. His potential when he was 19, 20 years old and the Rangers were in love with him was that this guy can be a number two or number three starting pitcher in the major leagues. I don't think he'll ever be a number two starting pitcher. I've seen enough that that'll never happen. Can he be a middle of your rotation guy, a number three, in a really good rotation, a number four? Hopefully he can get to that standard. All right, final question. Uh, We'll go two more. Tyson Ross, I'll combine into one. Tyson Ross and Colby Lewis. So Tyson Ross, when do you think that he can – at its earliest impact, this uh, rotation, my guess is early June. Yeah, same here. And then really be at a good performer like he was in San Diego a few years ago, probably after the All-Star break. Okay, and then Colby Lewis. My reason as to why I don't think the Rangers need to make a call to Colby Lewis, they need help now. They don't need help in four to six weeks. And Colby Lewis at the earliest could only give them help in four to six weeks. He can't just come up and become a, a major league ready pitcher in two days. I agree. Okay, there you go. He's Mike Bassett. I'm Jared Sandler. Thanks for tuning in. Back with you next week right here on 105.3thefan.com.